Good morning. My name is Kareen Alvarez, and I'm a sophomore accounting major here at Goshen College. Now I'm going to light this lamp as a sign of God's presence among us this morning. If you would, please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and for the opportunity to hear the words of Dr. Pete Menjades. May you bless him so that his meaning is clear. And may you bless all of us here today who are listening so that we may take his message with us as we leave this place. In your holy name I pray, amen. Today we are blessed to have Dr. Pete Menjades with us this morning. Dr. Menjades is currently the Vice Provost for Faculty Development and Academic Effectiveness, and he is also an Associate Professor of Education at Biola University in La Mirada, California. In addition to his service in Christian higher education, he has filled many other roles, from being a public school teacher to a pastor. Through it all, his dedication to diversity, to developing future leaders for the church and for society, and to fostering intercultural understanding has led Dr. Menjades to produce over 40 scholarly papers, publications, and research grants. He'll be speaking on Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, which reads, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. And now Lisa will be leading us in song. singing one, two, and four of 143, Amazing Grace.
now, if you would turn to 521, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. We'll sing all three verses. Good morning, Goshen College. How are you? It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, where I come from, when I preach, and I say preach, every now and then it's okay to say amen. And if the joke is funny, it's okay to laugh. If it's not, just kind of give me grace, okay? What a joy to be here. It uh, has been nothing but uh, just a wonderful experience. Uh, I am enjoying the change in weather. Uh, when I left Los Angeles uh, just the other day, it was 85 degrees. It will be like that for a little while. I know, I know. And, uh, but you have to understand that uh, to, to be in 50-degree weather is actually not too bad for me. So uh, I've appreciated not just the change in climate, but also the uh, hospitality that has been shown to me the last couple of days. So it's been a joy to interact with administration with faculty, with uh, students, and uh, to eat in your cafeteria. What a, what a wonderful cafeteria you have. You've got to know that. And uh, just all around, uh, it has been a, a blessing. And so uh, to be able to spend this time in community with you, to spend this time in fellowship around the Word, around worship and prayer, uh, is really a highlight for me. And so uh, thank you for receiving me, and I pray that uh, your hearts and minds are open to receive uh, what I believe the Lord has put on my heart to share with you 
this morning. And to do that, I want to approach uh, this particular topic, uh, which I have labeled Grace on the Hyphen, Identity, Faith, and Meaning, uh, by telling you a little bit about myself and to share just uh, briefly uh, two major pathways to the place that I find myself today, which has to do with my own educational journey as well as my identity and faith journey. And uh, to do so, I have selected Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, because I believe that this is a passage which has relevance to each and every one of us. And I am a first-generation Christian. I am the first in my family to come to faith in Jesus Christ uh, in what I would call a, a meaningful way, meaning that uh, my life with Jesus is real. It's not only intellectual, it's experiential. Uh, I walk with Jesus. He walks with me. I, I read the Bible. I pray. I serve God. And my entire life has been oriented around this, this life of faith. But that was not always the case with me. And so I give God all the glory for His grace. I thank God for my salvation and I thank God for faith that continues to grow in Him and express itself in my service to God. But it's not uh, beyond me to admit the fact that I actually started this career, and I won't even call it illustrious, uh, on scholastic probation. Now, I want to start with this frame because it's important for you to understand that even though I was born into the world with intellectual curiosity, that intellectual curiosity did not find its full manifestation in the institution of school. And so I struggled early on as a young person in school. Now, partly that was due to factors in my family and in my personal life that were were more distracting, that kept me from focusing on my coursework, and I'll share that in just a moment, but also because of the fact that I simply had a mind that was looking out the windows rather than paying attention to what the teachers were having to teach me. As a result, I failed miserably, even in elementary school, and in my upper elementary school years, I was separated from my classmates and sent to study in a special classroom uh, with children who had disabilities, learning disabilities, and that's where I spent my fifth and sixth grade years. That was not a positive experience for me. And as a result of that, I began to develop an attitude toward teachers and schools that resulted in full-blown rebellion as as an adolescent. And so in junior high and high school, I decided to underachieve and uh, worked as really hard as I could to not do well and to actually drop out of school. And so when I stand in front of you as a doctor or as a professor or as a university administrator, you have to understand that it's nothing I take for granted. I realize that my being where I am today is nothing more than the grace of God upon my life, the mercy of God shown to me, His great care and His patience over my life, even as I struggled as a student in school and not just in school, but also in college, because when I came to faith after high school, 
I thought it was time for me to go back to school only to realize that I didn't have the fundamentals in place to allow me to be successful in an academic setting, in a college setting, and so I proceeded to fail my entire first year. And as a result of that, I walked away from college, but it surprised me that one day after I had received all of my degrees to ask for copies of my transcripts and to find that on that very first college transcript, these words blasted in bold type, scholastic probation. And so this transcript serves as a reminder to me that our life of faith, that our journey in life really isn't necessarily determined by how we begin, but rather by where we finish. And so even though I started on scholastic probation, my life and testimony is evidence to God's working in my life and a willingness to make the changes along the way in order to be successful. But that's the academic educational journey. On the other hand, I also struggled with this thing called identity and meaning. I titled this talk this morning, Grace on the Hyphen, because I wanted to draw attention to what scholar Daniel Rodriguez in his book, A Future for the Latino Church, Models for Multilingual, Multigenerational Hispanic Congregations, defines as that place in ethnic identity between two cultures. And so I find myself living between this reality of being too Mexican to be considered American, but too American to be considered Mexican. I live on the hyphen. So am I a Mexican-American or am I an American of Mexican descent? I live in that space that we oftentimes refer to as hyphenated America. And so without Christ and without a sense of kingdom purpose and identity which comes to me through my relationship with Jesus, as a young person and as an adolescent, I was left to struggle and really to figure this out on my own. Now, I was born in the city of Los Angeles, in the city itself. Los Angeles is a big place. In fact, the uh, scholars out of the Center for Religion and Civic Culture at the University of Southern California have referred to Los Angeles as not only one of the largest cities in the world, but also the most linguistically, culturally, ethnically, and religiously diverse cities in the world. It also has tremendous disparity between the very rich and the very poor. And that's the city that I was born into. My family migrated from Mexico three generations ago. My great-grandparents brought my family up through Nogales there in Arizona, settled in Phoenix where my mother was born. And then my mother and grandparents moved from Phoenix to Los Angeles and believe me, there are places in the world much warmer than Los Angeles, and Phoenix is one of them. That's one of those jokes, by the way. <laughs> and so my mother, born in the U.S., had different aspirations, even from those of a previous generation, in that my mother believed that we were to be, if we were to be American, we were to be middle class. And so what that meant for us as kids was that we only spoke English in the home. And so we never learned Spanish. And we only watched American television. And we only listened to Top 40 radio. And so we didn't listen to mariachi music. 
We didn't listen to Banda or Tejano. We didn't listen to any of that. We listened to American music. And so my own orientation to music culture was the British invasion. Maybe you've heard of the group called the Beatles or the Rolling Stones. That was my generation. But I also grew up on a street where we listened to Hank Williams Sr., Elvis Presley, and the music coming out of Motown. And so I had a very eclectic upbringing, but this was all because we believed we were part of the middle class, and that is what we were supposed to do. Now, my father was killed when I was very young, and so my mother raised us to the best of her ability and according to what she understood to not only be good parenting, but what was proper culturally. But what we didn't understand was that because we were still located in this east side of Los Angeles, a very heavily Mexican side of the city of Los Angeles, we bolstered our sense of self-worth by actually looking down upon others, in particular those who were recent arrivals to the United States. Because after all, we were born in the United States. So aren't we better than those who recently arrived? And after all, we speak English. They speak Spanish. And we actually learn derogatory terms to refer to this other group. Now, this was my upbringing. This was my adolescence. This is what I was used to. And so it was confusing for me when for the very first time, my mother decided to take her four kids together on its first ever family vacation. Now, because we didn't own a home and we didn't own a car, we took the Greyhound bus. And my mother decided to book us tickets to visit the Grand Canyon. So we go back to Arizona. And it was at one of those rest stops somewhere between Riverside and Phoenix where we got off and my sister and I walked into one of the local convenience stores to get a refreshment because the bus was stopping periodically, when the manager of the store looked at my sister and I and said, get out of here, you dirty Mexicans. And at that point, I was really confused. Because after all, weren't we American? Weren't we born in the United States? Didn't we grow up speaking English? Didn't we embrace American values, watch only American television, listen to the Beatles? I mean, how much more cultures can you, can you have in you? And I remember being very confused. And it was at that time that I began to question even not just my identity, but my worth, my value, and my meaning in life. And so I struggled for a period of time wondering why I would be called a dirty Mexican when all this time I thought I was a clean American. And so part of the reform effort for me after junior high school was my mother and grandparents decided to enroll me in a boys' Catholic high school. And in that boys' Catholic high school, one of the most uh, fun classes I had for two years while I was there was religion class. And I think one of the reasons why religion in high school was so fun for me was that we studied everything but religion. I learned how to drive a car in religion class. I learned about sex ed in religion class. I, we listened to Jesus Christ Superstar in religion class. We studied popular culture in religion class. And all I remember was religion was cool because we're learning about all of these cultural things taking place. 
And one of the things that I was introduced to at that period of time was this, this genre called Chicano literature. Now, Chicano is that Mexican in America that has sought to strive to identify with his ancestry and his heritage and has sought to forge a new identity, the mestizo identity, the mixed identity of European and indigenous Indian. And this was the Chicano movement of the late 60s, the brown version of the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s in the United States. And so for the first time, I was introduced to Chicano literature by white teachers, servants of the church in this boys' Catholic school that for the very first time began to instill in me a sense of ethnic identity and pride of culture. I had never experienced that before. I had never known what that was about. And so for the first time, I was being taught that all People have dignity, that all people have worth and value, that there were redeeming qualities of not just who I was, but rather my culture as well. And that was a critical time for me, but it was just enough cultural pride and heritage to confuse me and left me quite dissatisfied because inside, somehow I knew that something was missing. And then it was at that moment the grace of God upon the hyphen of my life. Because not too long after that, I would be introduced to a street preacher who preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to youth on the street just like I was in such a way that made the truths of Jesus, the life and the hope of eternal life, so real and possible for us that we were coming to Christ in droves. This was the beginning of what historians now refer to as the Jesus revolution of the late 60s and early 70s. And I was caught up in the dragnet of that gospel movement, that, that awakening that was happening in Southern California that gave birth to ministries like, like uh, Calvary Chapel and the Maranatha movement and, and so many other versions of that on the east side, the Victory Temple, the Victory Outreach movement, what David Wilkerson was doing in New York with uh, various ministries of all kinds reaching the drug addict, the street kid, and, and, and wayward youth, and I was caught up in that. And so by God's grace, I came to faith at a time of great crisis, intellectually, spiritually, culturally, emotionally. And it was in those moments that I gave my life to Jesus for the very first time. And so as a result of that, I claimed this verse for myself, 1 Corinthians 15.10, for by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. I knew that at that moment I had a choice. I could receive God's grace into my life and sip, simply slip back into obscurity, or I could allow the grace of God to redeem my past and my present with the hope of a greater future, surrender my life to Him, and allow Him to use me in ways that I never thought possible before. And so as I reflect upon this notion of grace on the hyphen, identity, faith, it results in something greater. I mentioned the incompleteness that I felt by simply being 
highlighted and exposed to elements of culture and ethnic identity because I knew that I was incomplete without Christ. And it was in my coming to Christ that I began to realize that he was giving me a new identity. And I began to understand that God uses each of us just as we are. He uses our lives just as they are. He uses our family history. He redeems our heritage and our culture. He uses us in the particular language in which we speak. He uses the physical body in which we are born into. He uses our gender. He uses our geography. And all of that together he fashions as a master uh, a craft maker, as a master potter, into a work, as Ephesians 2 says, a workmanship created for his own pleasure. And we know that the Greek word for workmanship in Ephesians 2 is poema, poem. And so it's as if God is, is making a composition out of each and every one of our lives, and he is using that for his purpose. And so I'm not surprised that passages like Psalm 139, 14, and 16 speak of God's handiwork. And the psalmist here gives praise to God. He gives thanks to God, for he is fearfully and wonderfully made, and at the same time knows that his days have been ordained by God, that they were written out even before he was born. And when I begin to understand and I begin to wrestle and I begin to wonder and ask God, is this not only true of the psalmist, is it possible that this is also true of me? The word that comes back to me from the Lord is yes. It's yea and it's amen. He's made me just as he has. And he has written in his book all of my days. And in that book there is written for me a purpose and a plan. And for me, that realization came at that moment when I gave my heart to Christ for the very first time. And I could resonate with the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 20, where he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Amen? This is one of those amen moments, by the way. The old has passed away. The new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And this passage began to mark out for me not just clarity with regard to God's redemption of my life and his reconciliation ministry in my life, his forgiving me of my trespasses, his redeeming my family, my history, my heritage, my culture, my language, my body, my gender, my geography. But in all of that, fashioning it into a composition that would speak to my role as an ambassador for Christ, where God would not only redeem me, but also give me a purpose, and at the same time understand that I would come into relationship with Christ, that I would actually be employed by Him, that I would be deployed by Him in kingdom service to proclaim the message of reconciliation. 
And I have come to realize that reconciliation is not just something we do. It is who God is. It is what God does. And it is central to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the challenge then remains for us. Even as we partner with God in this worldwide move of reconciliation is to see the hand of God at work amongst us. And so as I conclude this morning, I want to challenge you to begin to discern and to think about how God is redeeming the world today. How God is actively engaged in the ministry of reconciliation among you. What is the evidence can you look to and see the handiwork of God amongst you? Can you identify his fingerprint and his handprint? Do you realize that Jesus walks amongst the Goshen College community? Have you seen his footprint among you? Have you seen and discerned his work between you? This is where the crux of the responsibility to live out the faith in community comes because it's one thing to have a view toward winning the loss overseas. It's another thing to be part of the redeemed and to seek to live out that life of redemption in community. And this is not an easy thing to do. But this is one of the reasons why the college experience is so critical and so wonderful all at the same time. Because it's in these four or five years that you have to come together in community with faculty and scholars and Christian leaders, with brothers and sisters in the faith from all cultures, from all backgrounds, from all the nations, to study together in this Christ-centered place in such a way that you not only reflect the beauty of Jesus and the aroma that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, but you actually learn how to love one another in the process. And as you love one another in the process, you begin to reflect the love that God not only has for humanity, but you reflect the beauty that is the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit amongst you. Now, if it were easy, everyone would do it. And so I close with the testimony of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In his book, Life Together, it's basically a chronicle, a testimony of his life in community. And in this testimony of life together, pastor, theologian, and martyr, Dietrich Bonhoeffer speaks of the ministry of holding one's tongue. And it's an interesting glimpse into his life and community. That he would understand that there are problems inherent in living in close proximity to others who are different than you. And part of what happens in this process of living together, dorming together, being in the same classroom together, the same study group together, eating at the same table in the cafeteria, going on the same ministry trips together, perhaps worshiping in the same church, that we begin to see things that we never saw or noticed at a distance. We begin to notice the imperfections in one another. We begin to recognize the idiosyncrasies in one another. And in some, time, in some cases, these idiosyncrasies, these imperfections as we see them, begin to irk us. They begin to irritate us. 
And so we begin that, oh, gee whiz, I don't know if community is such a good idea after all, because it's so much work. It's so much work. And for any of you who are married or who are in relationships, know that relationships, if they are to succeed, they take work. Marriages take work. Because God brings together two very imperfect people and makes them one. And that's what happens in community. God brings together very imperfect people. We are still in the process of being sanctified. We are still in this process of being redeemed. And God says, have community together. Love one another. And let the life and light of Jesus show amongst you. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer was trying to work through. And so he actually writes about a ministry of holding one's tongue. Meaning when you think something negative about somebody, stop. Don't say it. Hold your tongue. And if you're able to hold your tongue, guess what? You are now a minister of the gospel. You have the ministry of holding one's tongue. And sometimes, you know, wisdom is judged by your ability not to speak wise words, but to be quiet. And when we think something of someone that may not be redeeming or positive, it is more glorious, it is more righteous to hold one's tongue. And then these moments become, in his words, an occasion for joy. It's in those moments of silence. It's in those moments of self-discipline, self-restraint, where we begin to see the work of God in another person's life. We begin to not only see the work of God in their life, but we begin to discern the image of God in them. We begin to see them through the eyes of the master. We begin to see them as creations, as, as, as the handiwork, as workmanship from God himself. And he concludes by saying diverse individuals in community are rather cause for rejoicing. And that remains our challenge today. To see the community of faith as an expression of God's life, reconciliation work, redemption, and love amongst us. And to allow that unity, allow that faith in community to be authentic, to be real, to be genuine, to be heartfelt. To not simply tolerate one another, but rather to appreciate and to embrace and actually enter into life together, one with another. And in that process, I believe, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.10, by the grace of God, we are what we are. But we can have confidence to say that his grace toward us was not in vain. And that God has actually accomplished something wonderful through our lives. He has accomplished something wonderful through this community of grace and faith that is Goshen College and is the broader body of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, not just in North America, but globally as well. And if we can do that, I believe we will continue to bring honor and glory to God. We will be able to reconcile individual identity. We will be able to experience and live out faith and we will begin to engage in meaningful purpose and service for God. And it's in this college life, it's in these four years of life together that you have been given an amazing opportunity to have that formed in you, shaped in you, impressed in you as we seek together to be the unified body of Christ, the people of God together, redeemed by His grace, bought by His blood, 
in these days and for his purpose. And let us determine that we will leave here this morning looking for the fingerprint, the footprint, and the handiwork of God amongst us to the glory of God the Father, his Son, Jesus Christ, and through the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray a blessing upon this dear Goshen College community. I pray that these words will have had some effect upon some mind and some heart here this day. God, by your grace, we thank you for our salvation through faith. Lord, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ in our lives. Thank you that our lives are your handiwork and that we, Lord Father, are your composition. Write upon the tablets of our heart. Unify us, we pray, as we recognize each other as an occasion for joy, as we see the beauty of Jesus and each and every one of us, as we pray and everyone said, amen and amen. God bless you this morning. After this song that the parables will be doing for us, you will be dismissed.